I, I kind of thought about the question, why are we doing this sermon series? Why are we doing this sermon series on spiritual disciplines? I'm sure you don't ask those questions, but let's just suppose you come here like, why are we even doing a sermon series on spiritual disciplines? This is even important, and that word discipline, I'm going to be honest, I'm not super fired up about it in the first place. Like, why this sermon series? And here's the reason why we're doing this sermon series. The Mission Church... What we are about, our, our DNA, our passion, our vision here at the Mission Church is not that we would just have some sort of intellectual ascent of believing in Jesus. Like the last thing we want here at the Mission Church is a bunch of people like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I believe in Jesus. And, and that, that's kind of it. Our passion, our zeal here at the Mission Church is that the gospel would not be something you believe about Jesus, but the gospel would be something so profound, so amazing, so beautiful, so incredible, that it would absolutely change your heart. And that it would change your heart so much, and it would fill your heart so much, that it would begin to be lived out through your hands and your feet. It would begin to be lived out through your actions, your lifestyle, your words. Our passion here at the Mission Church is that we would not just be believers in Jesus, but that we would be followers of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's our zeal here. That's our passion here. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it easy to follow Jesus? No. No. Is it comfortable to follow Jesus? Like I, I, like, I think we're all on the same page, but I wanted to revisit this. By the way, we're going to get back to this question of why spiritual disciplines, but I want to do this tangent about following Jesus. Jesus tells us something about following him. In Luke 9, 23, he says, hey, it says, and he, that is Jesus, Jesus said to all, All the people who who were following him. Because here's what happened. Jesus had like literally thousands of people following him. Whoa, look at his awesome miracles. Oh, wow, I love his teaching. And I really dig how he just really ticks off those religious leaders. Oh, yeah. I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Let me me just warn you what it means to follow me. And, And it says this. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Don't miss what we see about what what Jesus references to when it comes to following him. He says, okay, if you want to follow me, there's something called self-denial. If you want to follow me, it means that you're not first, you're not second, you're not third, you're not fourth, you're not fifth. If you want to follow me, it means that you are very last of all. It means that everyone goes before you. Even those people you can't stand. you have any of those? I don't have them. Um, but those people really frustrate you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're last, they're first. And then, if that's not shocking enough, if that's not like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you know, setting the bar pretty high. He goes, oh, let me actually raise it one more time. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross daily. What does that phrase even mean? 
Pick up your cross daily. It's kind of lost its luster a little bit because um, many of us, we, we have necklaces with crosses around them. Maybe not many guys, but a, a lot of girls. Yeah, like a cross is a, it's, it's a picture of redemption, of reconciliation, of atonement, of forgiveness, of love. We put these on top of church buildings, around our necks, tattoos. But is that what Jesus is referring to when he says, hey, you got to pick up your cross? What was a cross used for? Crucifixion. The the cross was an instrument of execution. And so Jesus, I I think he's doing two things here. The first thing he's doing is he's saying, okay, if you want to follow me, get a picture of a cross. It is a picture of of sacrifice, but beyond sacrifice, it is a picture. It it is an instrument of execution. So if you want to follow me, it's going to be really, really hard. But I think he's also kind of giving us a glimpse of the future. Because what does Jesus die on? A cross. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you want to follow me, it's others first, it's you last. If you want to follow me, this is going to be a life of profound cost. If you want to follow me, your life is going to be an expression of the life I live. I want you to pick up your cross daily, and that's going to have whole new meaning when I go to the cross. I heard um, a statement made, or at least a version of this statement made, when it talks about following Jesus, and I really liked it. Following Jesus means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So just as Jesus in his story took a cross, went to the cross, we too are to bear a cross. So so if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, I think this is a a helpful reminder that, that following Jesus means seeing your own life story as an opportunity to express, maybe even mirror, Jesus' story. So let's just talk about for a second about Jesus' story. Jesus lays down his life for people who are spitting on him and mocking him. And he takes the wrath of God upon himself. This is why the gospel is so amazing. <laughs> is Jesus does everything and we do nothing. Except take that step of repentance and belief. And, and so Jesus lays down his life for us. And and so to follow Jesus means that we emulate this. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And and so back to this question, you're like, okay, okay. the original question is, why are we doing this sermon series on spiritual disciplines? Here's why. We are passionate about following Jesus. And it's really, really hard. It's not just going to happen by you and I standing there. It takes a life of discipline. It takes a life of faithful discipline. And might I add that our faithful discipline is only moved forward by the grace of God that he gives us. But the reason why we're doing this sermon series is, guys, I want us to be a faith family. And I hope your passion is there with me that we would follow Jesus. And this is not easy. We, we need to walk in faithful, disciplined life. So today, 
I want to talk about a unique, I think it's a unique, and I think it is a distinct spiritual discipline. We talked about being in the Word. We talked about prayer the past two weeks. This week is a little bit more unique, I think. And here's the reason why I think it's it's a unique spiritual discipline. Because the spiritual discipline we are going to talk about, I believe, is the essence, the essence of Jesus' story. Or at least Philippians 2 is going to say, this is the very essence of Jesus' story. And it's also a spiritual discipline. And so, let's go to Philippians chapter 2, where we talk about this spiritual discipline that is the essence of Jesus' story. And that if we live out the spiritual discipline, we are, we are living out, we are expressing the, the, the story of Jesus. So Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at here. Um, And I think it's helpful to understand the the book of Philippians is written by a guy by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. He writes this when he's in prison. It's kind of on the latter end of his life. He dies right around 65, 66-ish AD. He gets beheaded all for the sake of the gospel. At this point, it's about 62 AD. He's not quite to the point of death. He's in prison, and he's writing to a church in the city of Philippi. Now, here's what's intriguing about the book of Philippians is most of the letters that the Apostle Paul writes, he writes in a very linear fashion, like um, like point one, point two, point three, point four, point five. And each point kind of builds off of the other. The book of Philippians does not have a linear fashion whatsoever. The book, book of Philippians, right in, in chapter two, um, six through eleven There's this poem, or you could also call it a hymn. There's this poem that the Apostle Paul writes. In the whole poem, we're going to look at it. This whole poem expresses the essence of Jesus' life. And and how he lives. The essence of Jesus' story. And and here's here's what happens. is It's kind of like in the center of this letter... And then what happens is there's seven other little parts beginning in chapter one all the way to the end. And what happens is the Apostle Paul literally in every single little part, he pulls from the language of this short little poem about Jesus and and applies it to that circumstance. And so what's unique about the book of Philippians and it's really this work of art is the Apostle Paul centers it on this poem about the essence of Jesus's life and then he starts back from the beginning and draws from this epic poem and so let's look at this epic poem and let's start with this question what what do you think is the essence of Jesus's life like before you read this if I were to ask you what like the very heart. What is the essence of Jesus' life that he lived here on earth? Like, if you could have one word, what would you say? Don't, don't say it out loud yet. I think we all probably all have the same answer. But notice what Philippians 2 says. We're only going to read half of this poem for the sake of time. Paul writes this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is the introduction to verse 6, which verse 6 is the beginning of this poem. Who, 
Though he, that's speaking of Jesus, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself, but emptied himself by taking a form of a what? Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, we just read this, but if I were to ask you, before we read this, if I were to ask you, what what is the essence of Jesus' life? Like at the heart of Jesus' life, one word, one characteristic maybe, what would you say? Oh, maybe, okay, I'm not thinking the same way you're thinking. You guys are bright people. I I think of love, you know, the greatest commandment. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But, you know, Phil over here, he, he was a pastor, so of course, he, of course you get the right answer. It's a cheater. Uh, he's got the cheat sheet book over here. Um, you're not allowed to answer the questions anymore, Phil. Uh, I'm just, 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 just mimicking me. I'll be like, yeah, you're right. These, these other people. No. Um, but I think most of us would, would go to love, which I think is very understandable. But let's go to Philippians 2 here. What is the essence of Jesus' life that he lives here on earth? At least according to this hymn that Paul writes. Say it out loud. Service. Which in a way is love when when, when you think about it. Because love is only love if it's lived. You tracking with me? Love is only loved if, it, if, if it's lived out. Like I've met plenty of husbands that are just not walking with Jesus and, and not, you know, pursuing their wife at all. And they'll say things like, oh, no, 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 I love my wife. And I'm like, sure don't look like it. Love is only love if it's lived. And, and so the way that Paul is flushing this out is, okay, okay, yes, love is a huge part of this. But, but, but the way that it's lived through Christ is, is service. And I think the, the spiritual discipline of service, I'm not sure that that's one we run to as a spiritual discipline. Like, oh, aren't spiritual disciplines like, okay, worship might be one, reading your Bible, prayer, you know, belonging to a faith family, those spiritual disciplines, like, like service. Oh, that's interesting, a spiritual discipline. But it, but it is. We see it here, and then we see it at the end of Jesus' life. When he's having the Passover meal and, and everyone's sitting at the table and, and no one has washed the feet. And what does Jesus do? He washes their feet, a tremendous act of service. And do you remember what Jesus says to all of his disciples? I have given you an example. Go and, go and do likewise. This is a spiritual discipline. But here's what I love about this poem. Not only does it tell us just the essence of, of Jesus' life lived, but it gives us just a profound, a profoundly helpful anatomy of what service looks like. What does it look like to serve the way Jesus served? So if we're, we're supposed to walk in this spiritual different di- discipline of serving, what, what does this even look like? And Philippians 2 gives us just that. And so let's look at this and just Make some observations as we go. Beginning in verse 5, let's start with the introduction here to this. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is 
the phrase before the hymn. And it's a really important one. Notice he says, have this mind among yourselves. What does he mean by that? Have this, what do you mean, Paul? Have this mind. Well, this, when he uses the word mind, he literally means mindset. Or at least most theologians suggest that. It literally means, have this mindset among yourself. Now you should go like this, this mindset. What, this, what, which mindset are you talking about? When he uses the word this, he's pointing backwards to verse 3 and verse 4, but he's also pointing forward to something he's about ready to say. He's saying, I want you to have this mindset. And the mindset I'm talking about is some things I just told you in verses 3 through 4. And I, I won't unpack that because there's so much there. In fact, I preached a whole sermon on this like two months ago. There's just so much there. But in short, Paul says, consider other people's desires more important than your own. That's what he says in in verse 4. So he says, have that kind of humble, consider others more important than you. Have that mindset in mind. But I'm also talking about another mindset. I'm talking about the mindset that we see in Jesus. I want you to look to Jesus as the example. See how Jesus lived. See how Jesus served. See how Jesus forgave. See how Jesus loved. See how Jesus gave his life life up. Have that same mindset. He's literally saying, I'm going to give you this short little poem. I want your mind to grab a hold of that and make it your life. And so this is what he says. He says, though he, that is Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So two huge statements that he's making here. What does he mean when he says Jesus was in the form of God? And that Jesus had equality with God. It's saying that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is not like kind of lower and and less than God. That Jesus is God. And so here's the picture here that Paul is trying to paint. He's saying, you know what? Um, Before Jesus came to earth as an infant, he was literally with God, with the Holy Spirit in perfect union. He is fully God. He is fully sovereign. He is fully powerful. He is fully loving. He is is all the attributes that we know so well about God the Father. He is all of those things. And he has complete equality with God. But he did not see it as a thing to be grasped. In other words, the picture is that Jesus is up in heaven... And if you read in Revelation, it it tells us, it says, hey, before the foundations of the world, before Genesis 1-1 even even showed up, God had decided, it was decided, Jesus will die for the sins of the world. This This was not a surprise. And so, it's this scene where God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, they're in heaven, and, and, and Jesus, okay, it's your time. It's your time. Israel keeps blowing it. No one is, is, everyone is lost. Everyone is broken. Jesus 
It's time for you to go down there. Well, doesn't that mean that Jesus will give up to to a certain degree that that kind of power, that kind of authority? Yep. And so he says, okay, I'm I'm, I'm going to let that go. And in verse 7, it's even a better description. It says, and he emptied himself. And, And I think the most powerful picture is it's not simply that Jesus says, okay, all right, I'm just going to empty myself of all of my divine power, divine authority, and and I can grab a hold of that anytime I want to, but I'm just going to choose to set it aside and I'm going to be born among humanity. It's not as if he's just saying, okay, I'm going to set that aside. It's this reality that Jesus has every right in the world to hold on to his divinity. Because you and I have done nothing, nothing to deserve the right of him laying his life down. And I think think that's a powerful thing when it comes to Jesus serving is, oops, when it comes to Jesus' serving is he has every right in the world not to come to us because of who we are. And yet he still comes. And here's the reason why I think this is so profoundly important. Think about the people that you serve. Think about the people that you serve and you humble yourself and you go to and you take care of. I'll just speak for myself. It is, it's not hard for me to look at the needs in Sierra Leone, Africa and go, let's, let's write a check and let's serve them. Or go on a mission church. Let's serve them. Or go to my neighbor and say, let's serve them. It is, it's not that difficult for me to go to people who I have no relationship with at all and serve them. But have you ever had a, a brother or a sister that you just can't stand? Or you ever have someone in your life, they just keep criticizing you, looking down on you, you have people in your life that, that refuse to say sorry? Do you serve them? If you're like me, usually you're like, no, I have a right not to serve them. That right thing, I, I have a right not to serve them because it's their problem. Like, I'll serve them once they say sorry. I'll serve them once they repent. I'll, I'll serve them when... And, and we use that, that right language. And, and we've got friends around us that will pat us on the back and go, yeah, I got one of those people too. And Jesus has every right to go, you know what? I know them all too well. I'm going to go down there. They're just going to start spitting on me. They're actually going to kill me. Okay, I'll go anyways. And so when we think about the spiritual discipline of, of serving, we have to, can't, we, we just can't think about it in the circles of, oh, those people who are in deep need, yeah, I'll, I'll serve them. We have to think about that husband or wife who is just, ugh, keeps angering you. Or that child who just, really, you're, like, you're still going to disobey me again and again and again? Okay, I got to serve them too? At least that's what Jesus did. And then, it says, by taking the form of a servant. This word here in the Greek, it's, it's actually slave. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, 
obedient to the point of death. Now, I just underlined a few things because I think that we can learn just four really quick things about the anatomy of serving like Jesus served. Of living our life as an expression of his life. And the first thing I notice is is this right here. He became a slave. Serving was not just a moment. Serving was not just a need that needed to be met. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll serve. For Jesus, it was his life. 24-7, every second, every minute, no time off till he dies. Serve, 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 serve. And, And I think... Many of us, when we think about serving, we see it as this, this discipline that we turn on. Okay, well, it's now, now I should serve. Okay, now I can just relax and do nothing. And okay, now I'll serve. And we, and we see it as a, as a moment or a need that needs to be met. And, but when you look at Jesus' life, it's a lifestyle. Every moment, every second, every day. What would it look like if, if we lived like that? It'd be It'd be incredible. And then it says this. It says, he humbled himself. I think that's powerful um, because it shows, it's almost as if it's a starting point here. Notice it says, he humbled himself and then he became obedient and then to the point of death. And I think there's something to be said about before we serve, we got to get our mindset right. And we need to go back to verse four where 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 Paul says, consider others more important than yourself. You want to serve, start with that. Start with the reality of thinking that other people around me are more important than me. Especially those who are wronging you. Especially those who are angering you. Especially those who have no right to receive service from you. Humble yourself and go, okay, if Jesus didn't, did it, shouldn't I do it? And that's what he did. None of us deserve the grace of Jesus Christ. And he humbled himself and he, he considered us and our wants and our desires more significant than his own. He considered them. Are they more important? No. Are other people's desires or wants or needs, are they really more important than yours? I think that we could probably make some strong arguments, at least in certain categories, that no, 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 mine are at least as strong or more strong or more important. But Jesus says, no, 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 but I'm going to count them. I'm going to count them as more important. I'm going to humble myself. And I wonder how powerful that might be is if, if we just, in every situation, just, okay, I'm going to count my wife. I'm going to count my husband. I'm going to count my kids. I'm going to count my coworkers. I'm going to count my mother-in-law, father-in-law, whatever it might be. I'm going to count them as more significant than myself. At least that's what Jesus did. And then I love this part. This is huge. This struck me. It says, by becoming obedient, Obedient. I think um, one thing I've said in the past, and, I, and I, there's, there's a sense of profound truth to it, but I don't want us to make this the truth. And, and it's this, that we link serving with joy. 
We, we link serving others with joy. We, we talk about, hey, we should serve others, man. It will bring you joy. And there's some truth to that. Like when you go serve in children's, I hope that it will bring you joy. But I'm going to be real with you. If, if our volunteers are honest, there might be a moment down there where Zach preaches a little bit long. And, and man, I'm, t- I'm tired. I'm worn out. Like, Zach, can you wrap this message up? Because it drives me crazy. And it's probably one of my kids. And there are lots of moments in which serving, it's not a joy. Like if we're honest, in the moment, it's not joy. So do we serve only when it's joyful to us? Do we serve only when it fills us? Do we serve only when it does something for us? Jesus didn't. I think the Garden of Gethsemane is this incredible image where, do you remember this? Jesus is about ready to be betrayed, literally moments away. He's about ready to die on the cross, and he gets on his knees, and he's praying to God the Father. And do you remember what he says? Take this cup away. I, 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 I just don't. If there's another way, Abba, Father, if there's another way. And I, and I think that this is what Paul is referring to when he says he became obedient. And so, friends, I think that we, we can think about serving as long as it brings us joy and as long as it fills our cup. But if we're going to serve like Jesus serves, it, 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 is, it, is, it is lots of moments in which we are serving and it's not as much fun as we'd like it to be. But we do it out of obedience because Christ did that for us. And then, don't miss this, by becoming obedient to the point of death, This sermon and this text, I think, is profoundly radical, extremely uncomfortable, because what this is saying is that Jesus not only made serving his lifestyle, it's not only saying that he set aside every right he had to not serve us, but just considered us more important, and not only that, he he was obedient through the hard times, but he went to the deepest depths possible. He says, I will serve you even if it costs my life. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to serve to the point where it costs you everything? Everything. And here's what I think is profoundly unhelpful. Is that you and I, we live in a context in which... It is crazy rare for us to suffer for the sake of the gospel. At least for me. It's a rare thing. It's a weird thing for me to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It's just weird. Where's Paul at as he writes this? Where's he at? He's in jail. He's in prison. A few years from now, he's going to be beheaded. He's doing exactly what Jesus did. And, and I think it, it, is, it is radical and it is even a bit scandalous for me as an American pastor to go, guys, are you willing to serve to the point of death like Jesus served? But back in this day, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we actually lost a buddy a few weeks ago because he was serving Christ and it cost him his life. Like they knew people. Like almost all of Jesus' disciples. What happened to them? Murdered, killed, martyrs, beheaded, speared to death, 
crucified upside down. Like almost every single one of them. John the Apostle kind of got lucky. I think he considered the others lucky because he, he, he had to go to this island called Patmos and, 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 and had to suffer at, at the very end. And I get that this is radical, to serve in this kind of way. A lifestyle of serving. Not just a moment, but a lifestyle of serving. And to take the, the other people and their desires and their wants and who they are and consider them more important than you and your wants and your desires and to serve them even to the point of death. I get that this is crazy, but just go here for a second with me. What would it, what would it be like if Christians were actually like this? Well, it, Think about it for a second. What would unbelievers see if they saw believers laying aside everything to serve the way that Jesus served? This would be profoundly, profoundly effective, really. And when you look at the early church, the church grew at rates we cannot even imagine. People are getting saved just left and right, left and right. And what's unique is people are dying for the faith. Left and right, left and right, left and right. People are getting killed all the time for the sake of the gospel. And yet the gospel is furthering over and over and over and over and over again. And here's the reason why. They're looking at the radical lives of these believers who are willing to lay themselves down for the sake of the gospel. And that's how important the gospel was. They said, I think I want that. Listen to what Paul said, and we'll end with this. When you jump to Philippians 3, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have what? Suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You might ask, at least I ask this question, how do we serve Jesus like Jesus served us? How do I serve Jesus with such radical humility and radical obedience to the point where I'm willing to lay my life down? How do I serve like that? Paul says, here was the answer for me. I look at what I have in Jesus, and it's of surpassing worth. He said, I have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's actually so good that I could lose everything, and that would still be enough for me. And you know what happened with Paul? He lost everything. Even his life. And he's able to say, nope, still enough, guys. Still enough. Jesus is great enough treasure that he is worth a life of profound sacrifice. And just real honest question. Can you say that? Can you look at what you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you and I, we are sinners, we are broken, we are lost, we are rebellious, but Christ in his love, he came down and he rescued us and he died on the cross for our sins 
so that in Him we have eternity in heaven? Is that treasure worth a life of sacrificially serving Him? Do you believe that? Paul hung on to that. He said, okay, he, he is a treasure worth it all. And I, and I love what he says next. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, he said, I've got this treasure in the gospel and I'm trying to lay my life down and serving Jesus and living for Jesus and what, living out the calling he's given me, but I have not arrived yet. And, but, but, but here's the deal. I'm going to keep going. I'm in prison. I very well could die. And if I get out of prison, I'm not running. I'm not running. I'm going to continue to spread the gospel. I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a life, guys. It's a lifetime of, of serving. We never arrive. It's constant striving. And notice, um, I was going to share this last part. C.T. Studd, he was a missionary who died on the mission field, who literally took Philippians 2 straight to the grave. And one of the things that he said after serving 15 years in China and six years in India and another 15 years in Africa as a missionary, one thing he said is, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And even though he knew that it was of profound cost to follow Jesus, it was of greater worth to follow Jesus. And I wonder about you. I wonder for you, is Jesus worth living a life of profound sacrifice? Is he worth it? And maybe we can have a little surgery on our heart right now and ask some hard questions like, am am I serving the way that I should be serving? Am I loving the way that I should be loving? Start in those circles most nearest to you. Think of your wife. Think of your husband. Think of your your kids or your parents. Think of the relationships around you and ask that question. Am I serving them? And then maybe ask another question, and that is this. Is God calling me to serve in a way that could very well cost me everything? Wrestle with that question. And, And we should not be Shocked if the answer is, yes, yes. But wrestle with that. Let's pray. Father, it's crazy to think about the fact that you loved us so much and and so dearly that you gave your son for us. And Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you set the example We thank you that you laid your life down for us. We we thank you that it cost you everything and you, you still laid your life down. And Father, as we close in this last song, would you allow us to wrestle with the question, do I see Jesus as such a great treasure that I am willing 
to sacrificially serve others to the point of losing it all. And Father, maybe you're calling us to wrestle with another question. A question like, God, what might you be calling me to that that would be a life of profound sacrifice for the sake of proclaiming your name? Father, help us to wrestle with these things and remind us that you, Jesus, are the ultimate example. Pray all this and everyone said...